Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. You know, uh, I know all of you joined Dina and I in being very, very, very concerned for our nation. I want you to listen very carefully to what I have to say here today as your pastor. There has been unleashed innumerable demonic spirits to divide and conquer our nation. Spirits of deceit, of anger, of rebellion and destruction, division. I want you to know what you're about to see is something I feel strongly about. In fact, I'm calling Next Sunday is the Sunday we normally don't meet and we will not be meeting next Sunday. We were going to meet on Saturday at 9 o'clock in our own home. And let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm calling for a solemn assembly. I'm calling for a time of prayer and repentance. Among our constituents. The Word of God says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear and I will heal their land. The key is not a political party or person. The key is the people of God, my people. If my people will do this, I will heal their land, says God. I want to tell you something else. Please listen. There is no president, there is no political party that can fix what's wrong with this nation. If there is not a revival back to the principles of the kingdom of God, life as we have known it in this country will not exist anymore. And that's not to scare you, that's to tell you the truth. Forces at work, energized by the devil himself to steal, kill, and destroy. But we have the answer. And so this Saturday at 9 o'clock, I'm asking you to join Dean and me wherever you are, just wherever you are and have a time of prayer and repentance and a time of prayer for this nation. You're about to see, many of you know this, many of you don't, there is a mighty movement. And this Saturday, September the 26th, 
there will be literally thousands of people at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. has issued some decrees and rules that may stop some from going, but there will be thousands of people there. But more importantly, there will be millions of people this Saturday at 9 a.m. praying for this country. A concerted, solemn assembly of God's people this Saturday. For us to return to the Lord. God has chosen Ron and Phil. God has chosen a Jewish man, a rabbi, who's also a Christian pastor. His name is Jonathan Kahn. Many of you recognize he was the New York Times bestseller for many weeks after 9-11. He truly speaks with a prophetic voice to our nation. He loves the Lord. And God has used him to spearhead this movement that we will join in on on Saturday morning. I want you to take a look at this. Uh, Otis, if you would kill some lights back there on there and uh, so we can see a little better. I want you to look at this in prayer. This is Jonathan Kahn. We are standing at a pivotal moment in American history and world history, a moment that can permanently seal our nation's course and the course of the world for good, for bad, for calamity, or redemption. America and much of Western civilization was founded on a biblical foundation stone, but it's turned away from that foundation. We have not only driven God out of our public life and have called what is good evil and what is sin good, but we have sacrificed the lives of over 60 million unborn children. And America's fall from God is not only progressing, it's accelerating to the point that it's no longer just a falling away, but a war against the purposes of God. I wrote in the Harbinger of the signs of judgment that appeared in the last days of ancient Israel, warning of calamity, and that these same signs of warning have now appeared on American soil. The biblical template concerning judgment is that the nation so warned is given a space of time to return or to head for judgment and calamity. We are now in that window of time. But if America continues on its present course, that window will come to an end and there will come a flood that will begin the end of religious freedom, even usher in persecution and seal America's fall. And if America falls, it will affect the entire world. This year, 2020, is crucial as it leads to a presidential election in which the stakes are higher and the necessity of prayer more critical than ever before. And even if the election goes in the direction of biblical values and righteousness, if we don't see a spiritual turning, an awakening, a repentance, revival, then all the political, legal, judicial, and cultural efforts will ultimately fail or be undone. We have a window of time, and the purpose of that window is to return and for revival. Without that return, America will be lost. What can we do? 
What can you do? In the days following 9-11, people flocked to houses of worship, and it looked as if there could have been a spiritual revival, an awakening, but it never came because there was no repentance. And without repentance, without a turning back, there can be no revival. But I have seen once in my life the hand of God changed the course of American and world history. And it all began, not in the halls of government, but with the people of God who gathered in a sacred assembly in our nation's capital with the scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sinful ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land it can happen again. But if we don't respond now, at this most critical moment, we may never have the chance to do so again. Since the time of 9-11, I've been calling for return, for repentance, for revival, not only as individuals, but as a nation, according to 2 Chronicles 7.14. At the same time, a faithful man of God, Kevin Jessup, has for years carried the burden of a sacred assembly for that same purpose of restoration. We are convicted that now is the time. Therefore, this is the announcing of the return, the national and global day of prayer and repentance. It will be a day and more than a day, a time and a season for the movement for prayer, repentance, return, and revival. The central day will be Saturday, September 26th in a sacred assembly according to what is laid forth in scripture to take place in our nation's capital on the Washington Mall. For those who can't make it or want to do something where you are, then gather together in your states, your cities, in your towns, in your houses of worship, in your homes, or be part of those gatherings already planned. This will take place not only 40 days before the presidential election, but also on the 400th anniversary of the sailing of the Mayflower in the days of America's founding and dedication to God. And surrounding the day of return on September 26th will be 10 days known from ancient times as the 10 days of repentance, starting with the Feast of Trumpets and ending on the Day of Atonement to set as a special time to intensify our prayers, our intercessions for repentance and revival. September 18th to September 28th. Believers and leaders who are already part of the return include everybody from Pat Robertson to Dr. James Dobson, from Billy Graham's daughter Anne Graham Lotz to Martin Luther King's niece Alveda King, and many, many more. When does the return begin? Right now. How? With you and me as we commit this time and this year for return, prayer, repentance, and revival. To commit first to our own repentance and to begin actually living in revival, and then to pray for others, the return and revival of our nation and the world. You who are parents, begin by leading your families in revival. Ministers, lead your groups in revival. Pastors, lead your churches into revival. Leaders of ministries, movements, and denominations, lead your people into revival. And spread the word to everybody you can. Let the believers, pastors, and churches in your areas know. Use social media. Use everything you can to spread the word so they can have a part. And if you're watching this and you're not sure you know God or that your life is in his will, then come to him now. 
or come back to him now and then come join in in the return. So I invite you to come to the nation's capital on the Washington Mall, September 26th, 2020. Plan now. You can rent buses, trains, cars, planes, however you can come or gather wherever you are. And if you're watching this from a nation outside of America, you can be part of bringing the return to your nation by doing what I've set forth in this message and going to the return website for more information. I'll be sending out more messages as we go forth. But for now, for more information, to have a greater part to represent the return in your area or to stay up to date, if you're not already on that site, go to the website for The Return, which is easy to remember. It's thereturnwebsite.org. That's thereturnwebsite.org. The Lord is calling. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sinful ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. The movement and chance we have before us now may never come again. If we don't return now, we may pass the point of no return. So now, in view of the calling and of the moment before us, let us each rise to that call, to do what he has called us to do, to believe for great and mighty things we know not of, to return and seek to live in revival and become messengers of revival, it's time to break up our fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord as never before. It's time to return. of this nation, nothing, nobody, no party, revival is the most important thing that can come to our nation. Your children and grandchildren and your own future is at stake. At nine o'clock on Saturday, we ask that you would join, there will be Jeff, is, is there a, a live streaming of this from Washington? Will that be on the return website? Jeff Easter, one of our elders and such an integral part of our worship, has been led of the Lord to pray for two people from every state to hear and distribute this news. And Lord, you're doing your part. God's going to do his part. You can spread this news to anyone you choose. If you would like a template on how to pray for personal repentance, I will have a recorded message uh, of about 10 minutes of how we are to pray for our nation's revival. If you care to join that on our website, sfmin.com, or our Facebook Many are listening. Thank you for being here last week. We've had about 800 people view 
over the week. Isn't that good? God is at work. God is at work. I want you to turn with me, and I will abbreviate my message today. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and as I promised you last week, I will go a little farther into our message from last week on warfare, on warfare. We are in a war. Second Timothy chapter 2 last week, we found out that the Lord said through the Apostle Paul, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And no soldier in active duty entangles himself in the affairs of this life. We talked about how easy it was for us to get entangled primarily through the lies and deception of the evil one. The main attack of the enemy is to plant a lie in our mind that is undisturbed. We said that originally in the Garden of Eden, the enemy said to Eve, has God really said don't eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And then, God, and then the devil said this, you won't die you won't die. What the enemy was saying was, God is withholding something good for you, and he don't want you to have it. Sometimes that's the heart of our deception. We think something is so good, it has to be God's desire, because it feels and looks so good. That's not new. That was in the garden. But notice what else he said. You won't die. The devil still says, there are no consequences to disobedience. Just go ahead and disobey. It's okay. It's all right. How many of you know nothing changes the love and the grace of God? But our disobedience does change our ability to receive it and walk in it. It's serious. So we talked about how the enemy uses lies and deceptions. Plant something there that is not immediately removed and therefore grows roots and begins to bear fruit. We talked about the distraction of entanglement of how we get so enamored with everything going on in this world that sooner or later we listen to enough media that the media starts broadcasting what our future will be. Nothing should tell you how God feels about you and what his plan is, but his word. His word is the truth, and everything else is subject to error. Jesus said, thy word is truth. Sanctify them, Lord, in thy truth. Then we talked about how sometimes not only through just the planting of a lie and entanglement, but it can be an all-out assault. And we looked at 1 Peter 5, where it says that be sober, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, roams around looking for someone whom he may devour. And in the context of that passage, we saw three areas where we could be vulnerable. Number one, this whole book was addressed to people who are really suffering. Do you know that when you're in pain, you're more vulnerable to an attack? Because being in pain causes emotional energy, doesn't it? 
I don't know about you, but when I'm suffering, I feel it. It causes emotional energy, and um, it makes me more vulnerable to the enemy's attack. So suffering, personal suffering, <coughs> by the way, uh, God's people, this is not popular preaching, I know that, as I said last week, but the Word of God says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, the attacks of the evil one. Sometimes it's through people, sometimes through circumstances, whatever. But if you think that you're suffering because you have somehow failed, that is a lie of the devil. The Bible says that our suffering is an opportunity for us to, to get closer to the heart of God, to know more about being conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. There's an all-out assault sometimes. Not only we're vulnerable in the enemy's eyes when we're suffering, but that context says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Pride is an incredible magnet to the devil. Pride, Jesus said, goes before destruction. So if I am operating in pride, even if I don't see it, the devil sees it. And... Um, Sometimes pride can really fool us because sometimes it's just a matter of believing and acting like we can fix everything and everybody else. Instead of being willing to pour out our hearts before the Lord and to really develop the heart of Jesus uh, for others, pride. Um, Sometimes pride reveals itself in a refusal to pray for people that you don't agree with. Cheryl Black sent me a, a, a uh, recording from a wonderful woman of God with a message. And the last point of that message was sometimes the enemy can win because we don't expand the border of our intercession. And boy, that got me. The Spirit of God said to me, and He knows those that really get under my skin. You see them on TV, I bet they do you too. The Spirit of God said to me, are you praying for them? Are you praying for those that you don't agree with? Jesus prayed for those who were murdering Him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Thank you for that wonderful word, Cheryl. Even if it did convict your pastor of his own sin, I'll need that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get vulnerable not only because we're suffering or not only out of pride, but sometimes we get uh, really attracted to the devil because as we saw in that First Peter 5 passage, we refuse to cast all our worries, cares, and anxieties over on Him. We just hold on to them. Sometimes we've carried our own worries so long we've gotten so comfortable with them we don't even know we're carrying them. 
So we need to immediately do what Philippians 4 says, and that is do not be anxious about anything, but instead in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So whenever we begin to discover that there's worry, fear, or anxiety, the first thing we're told to do in the Word is to pray, to commit it to the Lord. And so what we need to do is ask for the Lord to reveal to us where we're vulnerable to the evil one's attack. But as I said last week, here's something else that we can do. Number one, pray and ask the Lord where we're vulnerable to attack. Number two, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. How many of you know that the way to get strong in the Lord is to admit your own weakness? What does the Word say? His strength is perfected in what? I said His strength is perfected in what? So God's strength really shows up and shows out when I admit my own weakness. How popular is that? Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might and put on the whole armor of God. So not only are we to ask for revelation, but we're to arm ourselves. That you may be able, look, why do we put on the whole armor of God? Watch. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word for wiles there is the Greek, it has, it, it's methodios. It is the word from which we get our word methods. And, and the idea there is to stand against the carefully devised methods of the devil. And don't dare mistake the devil's cunning. He has a carefully devised method just for you. As we said last week, the devil is not omniscient, only God is. But he's a very good observer. And he has myriads of demonic spirits, spirits under his control. And understand this, you are being observed, and the enemy knows where you're vulnerable. He knows where you're most likely to be snared, hooked, defeated. The carefully devised methodios methods of the evil one. So the, the sad thing about it, uh, church, is that sometimes the devil is a whole lot more aware of where we're most vulnerable than we are. So the point in telling you that the enemy himself is carrying out a carefully observed plan for your demise is not to frighten you, but to get us to do what the Word says here. Put on the armor. The armor of God's sufficient. It works. That you may be able to stand against the methods of the evil one, verse 12, for we do not wrestle. We're in a conflict. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So you thought those people were the problem. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, oh man, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Oh my. 
What is the devil doing in heaven, in heavenly places? Okay, now understand, the Bible, when it talks about the heavenlies, talks about three different places. Sometimes the Bible talks about the heavenlies as the atmosphere right over the earth where birds fly. It's where you fly airplanes, Kevin Allred. Glad to have you back. The heavenlies sometimes in Scripture is talked about the atmosphere above the earth. Sometimes the heavenlies talk about interstellar space. That is that vast, vast, vast beyond where there are galaxies that nobody has ever seen or observed, much less conquered. And the enemy even has in cosmic space, there's even access to demonic spirits in those places. And then sometimes the Bible calls heaven is the very throne room of God, where the angels are, where our precious loved ones are. Understand this, the, the devil doesn't live there. He, he's, he has no influence there. But when you read heavenlies in Scripture, especially in Paul's writings, sometimes you've got to understand that that is not talking about the very, he's not operating at the throne room of God. But understand that from the position of principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, understand that these are all terms that have to do with ranks of demonic spirits. Principalities, rulers over demonic regions, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age. I mean, they're ordered and in ranks, demonic spirits are, just like angels are. But how many of you know that only one-third of the angels of heaven followed Lucifer in his rebellion? That means two-thirds of them are still at the command of God, and God's got at least one assigned to you. So when this warfare is a cosmic warfare, the, the, there is an incredible enemy out there with vast resources, but notice what the Word says, put on the armor that you may be able to stand. Yes, this wrestling is against all these forces, but the how should we respond? Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That word in the Greek is histamine. You ever taken an antihistamine? What does it do? It blocks certain things from triggering allergic reactions. At least it's supposed to, right? This is a Greek word from which we get that. It means put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to block the assignment in the evil day. That is when it all comes crashing in on you and having done all to stand. There's that word stand again. My goodness. There it is in, uh, back there in 11, stand. Uh, here it is in 13, withstand and stand. And here it is again in 14, stand therefore. So pastor, what do I do when I am attacked? Stand. But you can't stand and put, until you put the armor on. Stand having put on the whole 
armor of God. Having your waist, your midsection, girded with truth. Well, I told myself I was going to quit right here. Can you give me five more minutes? Can everybody last five more? First, and this is the only one we're going to get to today, armor in the warfare, is the girdle of truth, the waist belt of truth. In Roman soldiers, in the first century, Paul saw this every day of his imprisonment. They had a large leather girdle-like belt across their abdominal area, and it had hooks on it where they could actually put shields and swords. It was the number one weapon a Roman soldier had to put on. You had to put that on because everything else was tied to it. Do you know that the first piece of armor that we have got to put on to successfully stand against the evil one is that waist belt of truth. Because if we don't believe the truth, the deceiver has access to every part of our being. Dear Jesus, how important it is for us to stay engrossed in the truth. When Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. That's the key. The word of God. That's the reason I am telling you that the, the main weapon that we have to walk in, the weapon on which everything else hinges is the truth of God's word. If you cannot be deceived, you will not be defeated. Deceit is the key to the victory of the devil in anything. So we got to look through the lens of the truth. Put on the truth. How do I put on that truth? By intake of the Word of God, Joe. I have to do it as an act of my will. Put on the full armor of God. Every day it is my mission to put on the armor of God. If I'm you, I'd start early. Because deception gets in your ear real fast. Put on the truth of the Word of God. That waist belt. Come here for just a minute, Joe. Joe's a very strong man. He's worked out for years. I want you to just put your feet together. Stand there and put your feet together. This is one strong guy. Okay? But, uh, okay. <laughs> come here, come here. I'm not finished. Okay, I'm a lot older than you and a whole lot less strong than you. That, that's for sure. Okay, all right. Now, just give me a little nudge. Don't block me like an Alabama football player that you love. Okay, what's the difference? I got myself in position, and I exerted pressure in my abdominal area so I could stand. You got to do that to win. 
Get yourself in position every day with the truth of God's Word or the enemy will just knock you over. The truth. I want you to bow your heads with me today. we got a lot to digest. We're in a war. But our Jesus has already won the victory over the devil. He's already won the victory over the devil. And what we're going to find out is the way that we enter into that victory is by applying things that are already in place because of Jesus. You can't be defeated if you won't be deceived. How many of you will join me today and say, Pastor, I want to be more cognizant of the fact that I'm in a cosmic warfare, but I thank God that Jesus has already won. I love that wonderful passage. Later on, or earlier on in Ephesians where we read <laughs> that we have been given by the resurrection of Jesus, that God has put all principalities and powers and world forces of this darkness and every name that is named under the feet of Jesus. Hallelujah. This is a, a passage of celebration. It is instruction and it's also celebration. Would you just thank the Lord right where you are for his victory? Would you say to the Lord, I'm going to put on the full armor and I'm going to begin by letting the Word of God be my constant companion and the source of all truth. I want to remind you of Saturday, September 26th. Please let it be a day of repentance and return in prayer. Use my little video if you need to. But whatever we do, let's join together on that day. In prayer for this nation. It's the return. Father, we bless you and praise you. We glorify and honor your holy and righteous name. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We'll see you in two weeks. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.